2: Call Buck Toll Free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. Sharp mind, strong voice, Buck Sexton. Buck Sexton here,
4: team. Thank you so much for hanging out with me on this uh, wonderful Friday. Finally feels like summer here in New York City. I bet that's the case in a lot of places across the country. Uh, so that's nice. got some things to talk about today. We will hit on a whole slew of topics including of course the news of the day with the uh, trump comey epic feud also get into a bit of the british election results uh, a little islamic history uh, we'll also talk about uh, how to how to party properly i've got a i've got a crazy show planned everybody it's gonna be fantastic you you wait and see Uh, But first, Trump with the Comey counterpunch. Uh, You would think that after... Actually, no, I I take that back. After yesterday's uh, situation with Comey's testimony, um, there was a lot of obvious spinning going on on both sides, right? People came away from that, and uh, you knew immediately which side of the political aisle somebody was on based on their main takeaways from that whole event, right? So if someone thought the biggest takeaway was the either request for loyalty, honest loyalty, whatever that was, uh, or the possible pressure on Comey to drop the Flynn investigation, well, then you're clearly a Democrat and opposed to Trump. And if you came away from that with, as I did, because I also do think, and I know this maybe now sounds like I've uh, in some way tainted my objectivity here, but... If you came away from it thinking that the Loretta Lynch uh, direct intervention on Hillary's behalf during the election by telling Comey to call something a, uh, what was it, a situation or something instead of, no, don't call it an investigation. Um, a circumstance, I forget what the word was that she used, but she called it something else. She wanted to call it something else. A matter, a matter. That's what it was. It's a matter. <laughs> it's a thing. Uh that was big. And then also that that Comey leaked. And sure enough, today, when Trump is in counter strike mode, I, I knew it was coming, by the way, this morning. I happened to be up for I don't even really know why I, w- I was up very early this morning. Uh, well, not very early. well, actually, no, I was up early, but I, I was up early and I saw Trump's tweet in. in uh, I think it was even in real time, right? When he tweeted it was like, oh, look, Trump just tweeted. He hadn't tweeted in a while I knew that it was gonna that this fight was gonna be on today, and sure enough, you've got the President now saying that Comey lied under oath, and Trump is saying that he is willing to go on the record under oath uh to testify under oath. uh he says that he says that uh Comey's a liar Comey is a liar this is some. Some intense stuff. I will get into more of why I'm not I'm just not very favorably disposed towards Comey in a few minutes. And by the way, I promise you that we will no. We, we will uh, spend only a portion of the show on politics and stuff today. And then we'll just get into some other topics because there's there, there does come a point when we all need to just take a deep breath and, and not be uh, trying to either referee or join one side or the other in this battle between Comey and Trump. Uh, But POTUS, Trump, President of the United States, came out today and went after this issue of the leaks and the fact that Comey agreed, as I told you yesterday, or or came out and said that he was responsible for leaking.
3: But uh, in the meantime, no collusion, no obstruction. He's a leaker, but we want to get back to running our great country.
4: Now, there's a lot of people that are parsing the—and I even have some—it's so cute when some people that have never worked in government or held a security clearance are trying to tell me via email or on social media, like, like oh, you know, let me tell you what a leak is. I'm like, look, I, I know what a leak is, okay? Uh, but there are different kinds of leaks, right? There can be a leak that is just somebody speaking out of school who works for Trump or who works for Comey saying uh, something that is very generic, very vague, uh, that would be just really gossip in a sense, right, or or perception based. And that's very rare. Now, you can be fired for that, but you're not going to run afoul of any rules for that. There can be proprietary information, meaning if you were Comey and you work for the FBI, it's information about the internal functionings and what's going on at the FBI that's not for external, uh, not for external eyes until some uh, sharing or some uh, signing off on that process occurs. And then the top level of leaking is here is classified information that is protected under law and someone knowingly and willfully shares it to somebody who does not have a clearance and, 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 you know, and pushes that out there for everyone to know, which is illegal, uh, and and is a in in many cases a felony. So when we talk about a leak, well, it matters what kind of leak. And when I say that Comey leaked to the New York Times, I'm not suggesting that his conversation with the president, where he's talking about uh, what's going to go forward with the investigation, is classified. But it may be government property, and therefore it would be improper for him to share that for political purposes. And to claim, by the way, that he was a private citizen, that's not a that's not an OK justification here for him because he's sharing information he he had from his time in government. Right. If, if Comey had this meeting with Trump after he had been fired, yeah, do whatever you do, whatever you want. Right. But he had this meeting. When he was still the FBI director and took these notes as a formal record that he was trying to use as as an official as an official government record, really, to harm the presidency. So that's that's clearly falling under the category of government information. Now, the other side of this is people are suggesting, oh, call me leaked, call me leaked. Yeah, it's an ethical issue. It's almost certainly not a legal issue and i know that people are out there and they can say oh buck but what and i'm familiar with there there's even stuff that uh, you know you, you go beyond the clearance process and you can talk about like law enforcement sensitive which i dealt with at the nypd and what the what the realities are of, of sharing or disclosing uh outside of proper channels that information right there's all these different um different categorizations of uh, you know leaking just means sharing without authorization right that's all leaking is so a leak is not necessarily criminal it's not even necessarily sanctionable uh, except if you're working for somebody they can fire you right if it's not authorized but beyond that there's probably no legal recourse and people that are saying oh well Comey's going to be in trouble because of the uh, legalities here I mean trust me Comey has been uh, he's and this is an unfortunate reality of our prosecutorial system in this country right now. He's been locking people away for pretty minor things and technicalities for a long time. So he wouldn't do this if he wasn't darn sure there's no way he was going to face any real punishment for it. And what are they going to do? They're going to strip Well, they're going to try to strip him of his FBI pension or something. I mean, man, doubtful. No, no way. I mean, n- not for this. Uh, at least I don't think so. It's not enough. It's not enough of an abuse for that to happen. And he also understands. And this is what. Well, before actually, hold on, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit. Um, but the uh, people that are trying to make the case, and I understand this, they want to be favorable for the president. They're saying Comey leaked and therefore Comey's the one who could get in trouble here. He may have broken the law. But the kind of leak that we'd be talking about with Comey is like uh, the equivalent of a, of, a, of a parking ticket in the leak world. Or maybe a little more than that. But you see what I'm saying. Right. It's he's not he's not leaking top secret information to the press to harm the president. He's leaking a conversation that was not classified, but it's unethical and it shows it exposes, I think, that Comey's a political actor here, as he has been all along, as many of us have known all along. And he's all Mr. Uh, Mr. Proper and by the book and the rules, the rules and nothing but the rules until all of a sudden it's about the FBI's reputation, which is really, I think, a code word or or a coded phrase for Comey, which is that it's his reputation. Right. But uh, then all of a sudden he's willing to play a little dirty. So he's been exposed here in a way that I don't think many of his defenders thought he would. Uh, And look, he didn't want to have to tell everybody this, but he was under oath and he's smart enough to know that he's not Bill Clinton. He's not going to get away with lying under oath. But he does figure that the hit to his reputation or his uh, very carefully cultivated uh, reputation for honesty. um, he, He does, I think, realize that that may take a hit, but on the other side, he is now viewed as. A a kind of, you know, Trump opposition martyr, right? Somebody that took uh, took the heat, stood up to Trump and and was crushed in the process. And so he'll be protected at some level because of that. Uh, Comey's speaking fees and his book advance are only going to go up because of what he has done here to the president. Comey's viability as a senior administration official in a Democrat administration. Oh, yeah. It has only gone up because of what he has done trump now i don't think they would because of the hillary situation although i don't know people act like democrats live in this fantasy land where comey cost hillary the election and i'm always like you mean the guy that made sure that we didn't watch loretta lynch stand in front of the american people to show how deeply corrupt and ridiculous the doj was in that investigation comey did her a huge favor huge favor um so that's i think all very important to put in perspective here people are talking about leaks and always a criminal and a Nothing's not let me tell you right now I'll, I'll I'll skip to the conclusion for you, my friends. Nothing's gonna happen to Comey legally speaking because of these leaks. I know it's fun to talk about and you know but but it's, it's not gonna happen. so uh he's a seasoned uh prosecutor and uh lawyer, and he, trust me, he knows that he's not gonna get jammed up on this, but it showed us something, and Trump was right. um the main Democrat narrative here took a huge hit yesterday, which is that there was collusion that Trump's under investigation himself. And I think fair minded people for the first time going into this. uh, Well, it's not yet summer, but going into this soon to be summer weekend, maybe maybe considering that the media has been at war with Trump and they've been fighting dirty and they've been lying for months now. That this whole narrative of the Russia collusion with Trump is nothing. Because let's really cut to the chase. If Trump himself had nothing, uh, did nothing illegitimate, did nothing nefarious, did nothing underhanded with the Russians with regard to the election. Does it really matter if uh, some secondary or, or tertiary, some third tier player in Trump's orbit from the campaign had a shady conversation with a Russian I think Trump would say, "Okay, well, if you find that out, throw him, you know, throw the book at him. Do whatever you got to do. He doesn't care." But what we figured out here is that Trump didn't. There's, they've got nothing on Trump. If they did, everybody, as I've been telling you, we would know. We would know. They're leaking information left and right. Even information that, if true, neither confirm nor deny. But if true, uh, would be felonious leaking of highly classified information. Uh, if they're willing to do that, there's no way that the so called smoking gun that's out there would still be under wraps. There's no way that's just insane so it was a it was a good day for Trump, and he's now i think on offense uh in a way that many people weren't on the left weren't really prepared for i I think there's a little bit of a uh, a, a stumble was felt in the anti-Trump ranks in the last 24 hours uh, because their their main guy against Trump was Comey, and it just wasn't enough. And all this stuff about obstruction, please, people—the uh, the same people that are that were defending Bill—I I mean, literally the same people. If you turn on CNN, uh, some of the same people are defending Bill Clinton for blatantly lying under oath, which is perjury and which is a felony. Uh, they think they're going to get an obstruction charge on, I hope you can see your way clear. I don't think so. I don't think so. But they're going to try. But uh, I, I want to talk a little more about the um, the Democrat Party now as America's uh, political hall monitor. But I'll do that after the break. Stay with me. I also want to get into some of the news stories and news organizations that have been uh, uh, undermined quite a bit, given what Comey said yesterday. But I believe it was on this show, in fact, where I said I, I, I should have pulled this audio where I was saying that they're going to run with this Comey set to undermine Trump. Uh, and say that he never told me he wasn't under investigation. I was like, they'll run with this story until the day of, because all the damage will be done. And then by the time it's we know it's not true, they will have run an anti-Trump story for a week and act like that they're just journalists. That was exactly what happened. Why is it so obvious? I mean, I don't pretend to sit here and have a crystal ball. I mean, maybe I kind of do. But I could see that coming a mile away. It's not surprising at all. Great piece, I thought, in The Federalist, by the way, about uh, uh, by our, our friend Ben Dominich, about how CNN has just gone to war with Trump. I mean, you, you see the headlines, you see the Chirons, which is what they put at the bottom of the screen in writing. Um, you see the way that they are framing all this stuff. And, yep, that is accurate. CNN has has gone to war, or all, a lot of CNN, at least, has just gone to war with Trump. I mean, they're just trying to take down the presidency. There, there is. A- I don't know how they could be any more anti-Trump than they are. And... As some evidence of that, uh, you have the second CNN host in, what, two weeks? No, less than a, oh no, yeah, two weeks. Second CNN host has to be fired because of anti-Trump hatred. I mean, it's fine to criticize the president. I mean, I criticized Obama for every year I was in media. No one's got a problem with that. But you can hold up a severed head and pretend it's the president's. And also, if you're a public figure and you call the president a piece of blank, uh, that's going to be tough when they want to put you on TV as a, quote, religion expert later and nonpartisan. So Reza Aslan, uh, whom I do not know, but based on his appearances on TV and and his uh, statements on Twitter, strikes me as an entirely repulsive and intellectually third tier at best kind of guy. Uh, he's gotten canned by CNN. He had a show called Believer, um, which now look, he's not a CNN employee, but now we're starting to get a little into the minutia. He has a production company that he works with and CNN pays for that show, which pays him money then for doing the show. And they have cut they've cut all ties. They will not be putting Believer on going forward. Um, so he's he's done. We, As you know, Kathy Griffin uh, for the severed head photo, she's done. You you'll notice uh how many how many Fox hosts, how many of you with shows at Fox, uh, just wildly crossed the line when it came to the Obama administration had to. I I can't I can't remember any that were fired for that, nor should have been. But I'm just I'm just thinking out loud. Um to cnn oh now kathy Griffin doesn't have her own show i know that but she hosts new year's eve every year with their marquee anchor anderson cooper uh who is the, the single most well-known and and marketable of all of the various uh cnn Well, i shouldn't say most marketable but you know what i mean he's the he's the biggest household or the biggest name most most known guy over at cnn um so that's gone now um uh, I will also say that you know there's a part of me that thinks that uh, this is not this is not going to last very long. This, in fact, I know it won't last very long. This introspection that may be going on in some quarters of the media. I mean, the New York Times is even—I'll uh, get to that next. The New York Times is uh, trying to deal with the fact that Comey said one of their stories about Russia-Trump collusion was just flat out wrong, just wrong. So, is Comey a Trump hack, or is the New York Times? running off of bad fake sources or sources who say they know stuff and don't know we've got a lot more team you know i i didn't forget but i was just looking for the right time to bring it up of course everybody it's action movie quote friday action if it
2: pleads we can kill it movie come to the coast we get together have a few laughs quote free your mind fridays action movie quote fridays
4: let's see what you got team buck 844 2825 bring that bring those action movie quotes my way Uh, A little bit more on uh, Trump and what's going on here, though. I mentioned before the the political hall monitor thing. Um, I I really don't like this when it it seems like the the media gets turned into a a big echo chamber of people who are either lawyers or uh, repeating what they hear from lawyers. About trying to find some way, some way to concoct a narrative. That. Uh, shows illegality from their political opponents you know if you hate somebody so much and you just can't stand them make the case why they should be voted out of office uh fine but we're always now seeing this effort to try and make it about make it criminal you know i they want to find something if you go down the list by the way uh of course at the top russia trump collusion And then there's the emoluments clause and you've heard about the Logan Act and you've heard about now obstruction and you've I mean, you know, uh, and, uh, you know, the violating nepotism laws and all this stuff around the White House already. Uh, the, The Logan Act was one of the more desperate ones, right? It's been around for a couple hundred years. It's never actually no one's ever been successfully prosecuted under it. But you can see that they're dusting off the law books and they'd be perfectly happy to Uh, lock somebody up just for to score political points i don't want to live in a country where americans uh just engage in this tit for tat you know back and forth uh over trying to get people jammed up with the legal code uh with the criminal code Uh, that's not healthy that's not good and you can see this is one of the primary methods of opposition against the trump administration they're they're always looking for some way to get somebody you know now they're looking at flynn for long the fbi now they're you can see this is why they're so excited about uh the special counsel and now it all makes sense doesn't it it all makes sense that comey and he said this uh, this isn't my interpretation he said this uh that he would be that that he wanted to get a special counsel because He understands what this will mean. Uh, It'll mean that there will be a series of investigative investigatory steps that take many months, cost a lot of money, and will put people in legal jeopardy. See, here's what many in the public don't really know. Pretty much each time you speak to the FBI, uh, anytime you're—and definitely anytime you speak to an FBI officer, anytime you're under oath, um, you're— flirting with legal jeopardy i mean you know you can turn into a you can turn into a criminal really quickly and not through being a bad person or trying to cover up any kind of crime maybe you're trying to just cover up something that's embarrassing or maybe you just don't want to you know give the full details about something that's why comey comey didn't want a special counsel because he knows there's no russia collusion so why does he want a special counsel He wants a special counsel as payback for him getting fired. And he wants a special counsel because he knows that it'll just grind along this massive, lumbering, bureaucratic monstrosity that will just consume people uh, over the course of its gears, just doing what it does. It's not going to unearth some grand conspiracy. It's not going to defend our democracy. It's not going to make, you know. It's definitely not going to make America great again, but that's not that's not what it's about. That's why Democrats want it too. By the way, they need process to combat the administration because the completely conjured narrative of Russia collusion is falling apart. So they they need to just use these the honestly the the, the, petty, uh, the petty tyrannical tendencies of government. To their advantage. That's what they want. And I saw this. Well, even in my time in government, there are some people that they're just they buy into this. They don't understand that the justice system really exists to do justice. It's not just to do uh, every little thing at every little time uh, based on exactly what the, the statute could be interpreted to mean, mind you. Right. I'm not talking about blatant violation of statute. I'm saying, you know, can they, can we shoehorn something into this? Can we find some way to charge this as a crime? That's not that's not the America that I want to live in. That's not the approach that my uh, fellow citizens I would hope would take. Uh, in and I I would h- hope that some would start to see all this Trump stuff for what it is, which is just an effort to um, win through. Or really to to get vengeance. It's not even about winning so much as vengeance. It's payback for uh, Hillary losing. And we've been that's not new. And I know that. But that's why subjecting people to a grinding and seemingly endless special counsel investigation. You know, they're not going to get somebody for Russia collusion, but they may get somebody for like tax fraud, you know, and then oh that person's a traitor. Oh, traitor. You know, we throw that word traitor around way too liberally these days. Way too liberally. You know, go back in history and look at what look at what real traitors were, what they did. Um, You know, this is not hoping that you're uh, a senior, hoping that a career military officer with uh, decades of decorated service is not going to go to prison on a technicality is not treason, everybody. okay? it's not no normal, rational person would say that it is um but they are just trying to trip up the administration uh with the tyranny of endless laws and that's really what the that's what the resi- the quote resistance or the hashtag resistance has become uh trump is saying that he would give his version of the comey back and forth under oath uh here's what he said today at press conference
3: he suggested he didn't tell the truth in everything he said. Uh, he did say under oath that you told him to let the Flynn, uh, you, you said you hoped the Flynn investigation, you could like. I didn't let say go. that. So he lied about that? Well, I didn't say that. I mean, I will tell you, I didn't say that. And, and did he ask you to pledge and his And there'd moral? be nothing wrong if I did say it, according to everybody that I've read today. But I did not say that. And, and did he ask for a pledge of loyalty from you? That's another thing he said. No, he did not. So he said those things under oath. Would you be willing to speak under oath to uh, give your version of 100 percent? And I didn't say under oath. I hardly know the man. I'm not going to say I want you to pledge allegiance. Who would do that? Who would ask a man to pledge allegiance under oath?
4: Yeah. The more I think about this, I demand loyalty from the FBI director, from Comey, after what Comey did during the election itself, Trump would demand, Trump would try to demand. Um, I, I Look, I, I believe, and I know some people, this gets them really upset, I, I believe that he fired him, yeah, because he doesn't like him, he doesn't trust him, he thinks he's a political operative, which he clearly is, by the way. Comey is a political operative, so all the people that for the last, oh, you know, nine months and be like comey's just amazing he's such a great non-partisan public servant uh they were missing something because this is a guy that will go after a presidency to settle the score so those people were off um but now we see what's going on with trump and, and comey and the loyalty pledge and i just think to myself why would trump put himself in that situation Asking for a lawyer, because he could just fire him. um, And and I also, I should note that I have some friends, and I was going to bring this up the other day, who, uh, you know, I've spoken to people who are attorneys. And if you speak to some defense attorneys, they will say that they will never agree to a, a FBI taking notes on an interview with somebody. Tape recorder. I, uh, no, you know, I'm not saying that there's in, in, intentional bad faith with uh, that. That's commonplace with the FBI sitting down in those situations. But I, I think tape recorder is what you you're, you're going to want there, because okay, Comey's recollection of a conversation, how clear is it really? And if somebody gets to just create the record of the conversation, how hard is it to change one or two? keywords if we're parsing words keep in mind we are parsing a transcript here when it comes to the Flynn uh the the Flynn uh the allegation that he tried to obstruct Justice by looking into whether Flynn remember what was Flynn's problem lying to the FBI um is that again is that based on notes that FBI agents took or is that based on did they did they record the session I'd be curious to know that uh but if it's just a matter of a few words, You're putting a lot of faith in James Comey to give you exactly what was said, Uh, whether he might get some words wrong just because or he might get some words wrong because it's something he wants to do. And that's why this issue of of tapes uh, is interesting to me. I, I don't think there are tapes, but I don't know. And this is what the president said about it
5: against your word and if you could also tell us sir are, do tapes exist of your conversations
3: yeah. with him well I'll tell you about that maybe sometime in the very near future but uh, in the meantime no collusion no obstruction he's a leaker
4: no collusion no obstruction he's a leaker uh, that's what that's what the president that's his counterpunch here uh, I they're hoping, by the way, for the the worst situation for the administration now is some uh, some criminal uh, prosecution that comes up from the process of the investigation. They're going to find nothing. Not, not, nothing that hurts Trump himself or his inner circle from any of this. I think that's pretty clear. And I think a lot of people in the media realize it now. And, you know, it's all out there on the Internet. We're all quite aware of who's been saying Trump's going to get locked up. Trump's going to get. Uh, marched out of the White House in handcuffs any day now. There are people who are saying this stuff. Nope, I don't think so. Eight four four nine hundred buck. Eight four four nine hundred two eight two five. Call me with your Trump thoughts, Comey thoughts, action movie quotes. It's fair game. Anything's fair game, my friends. It's Friday. We'll be right back.
2: The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. That's Shields high.
4: All right, lines are lit. Let's take him, John in Alabama on uh, 104.9. What's up, John?
0: Hey, is this John in Mississippi? Uh...
4: Oh, oh, with Jonathan Sibby, we got a couple of Johns. Up. John of Jonathan wb WBUV. Yes, sir.
0: All righty. Um, now, I don't know if this is an action movie because back in my day, I don't know if we had action movies years and years ago. But the hero in this movie had suffered a traffic mishap. He was knocked unconscious. And when he came awake, he was strapped to a table. And the villain was prepared to cut him half in two with a laser beam they would move automatically from the bottom of the table up the center of the table. Does he say, I
4: do not expect you to talk, I expect you to die?
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I'm here for.
4: James Bond movies. Bam. Laying it down. Rock and roll, John. Hey, man, have a great weekend. Thank you for calling in from Mississippi, man. Have a good weekend. I appreciate it. Uh, Other John in Alabama. What's up, my friend?
0: Hey, Buck. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you. uh, Call me... Tony proves to me that he's no different than Brennan and Clapper and Loretta Lynch. He is a just, just a partisan political hack. Because, of, and if you look at what he did, you know, to throw everything out the door and make sure everybody knew that Hillary wasn't going to get charged. And the only thing that didn't leak out of his office was the fact that Trump was not being investigated personally.
4: Yeah, and this notion that there is a duty to correct—what um, w- does that even mean? So, yeah, if the president came under investigation, well, anyone could always come under investigation. That—that's a nonsense standard to to apply, right? Because the whole point is that everyone was being told, everyone was being led to believe Trump was under investigation. Well, isn't there a duty to correct that false impression? One would think so.
0: That's why he's a. That's why he's nothing more than a po- political hack. But I'm wondering. I don't know if you get a sense, and I know I'm in the one of the reddest parts of one of the reddest states in the country. But I'm livid at the Democrats because this is all they've got. They would – flush the country down the tubes to get it Trump to hate him so bad. And I'm just hoping that this is going to blow up in their face and backfire. And I was just really wondering what you thought, if there's any possibility of that.
4: If, if the, the whole Comey situation is going to be a, a loss
0: for the Democrats – No, I mean, they've been, we're going almost a year.
4: Oh, you mean the whole thing, the whole thing. You're you're wondering if like this going. (laughs) No, you know, I I think that this is unfortunately where the Democrats are now because we had eight years of Obama or we, we know what the Democrats offer. And look, Trump's election was a repudiation of eight years of Obama policy and also eight years of a progressive Democrat leftist culture that people just got sick of. They're just sick of it. So, you know, th- yeah, that's you know they, they can't offer up the same stuff they're offering because, clearly, it wasn't enough. I and mean, keep in mind, it's not just Trump versus Hillary. Look at the House. Look at the Senate. I, why are Republicans winning all these races? I mean, look, Republicans aren't exactly lighting the world on fire with awesomeness these days.
0: I'm really, really, really disappointed in the Republican Party. I really am. But I'm, I'm behind Trump because I know what the Democrats want to do for, with the country. We saw that for eight years. And that's nothing what the founders
2: um,
0: envisioned, and that's nothing what's in the Constitution. Yeah, you know, and, b- big government
4: redistribution and socialist uh, socialist tendencies um, are not are not something that the American people really want. And uh, and that's—never uh, ne- mind the—and and thank you for calling in, John, from Alabama. I appreciate it. Uh, th- there's also just the anti-traditional, uh, anti—I mean, dare I say anti-American— uh, bent of the Democrat Party, uh, that they are so willing to be uh, critical of America, always denigrating and finding the most negative parts of, of America's past. Uh, this internationalist, multilateral, multicultural, world opinion based view of governance here in America. That was on the ballot, not just with the presidency, but but with the major parties. And it was rejected. So, you know, you're not hearing a lot about how Democrats have great new ideas for health care. They're just pretending Obamacare is is not the dumpster fire that it is. And. Uh, telling us all that Trump is a Russian, a Russian pawn. And that they hope that he goes to prison and that they're going to they want investigations. You know, people compare this to Benghazi and I just I just want to throw something, you know, at the wall when that happens. Um, OK, four people died in Benghazi. They lie. They did lie about it as a terrorist attack. They lied about it for political reasons. They were incompetent about protecting the compound that was under the compounds that were under assault. Um, there, there was. Yeah, th- th- there's a reason for an investigation there. It was an intervention that Hillary Clinton had pushed for. She didn't have a plan. She didn't really know what the U.S. was getting into there. And Barack Obama was up for reelection. So they lied and people died. And we wanted to know what happened. That's that's a real investigation. Like there's a need for that. Um, Trump talked to somebody once who had a Russian-sounding accent and you know has had Russians stay in his hotels, and we're supposed to act like he's got a secret tattoo of, of the hammer and sickle somewhere? I mean, it's just ridiculous. This is where we are. We'll take more calls, team. Stay with me on those lines. We'll be right back.
2: Freedom Hut rocks online too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to bucksexton.com. That's bucksexton.com. Are you not entertained The Buck is back.
4: Got a lot of lines lit. I want to take some calls here team because it is Friday and uh, it's freestyle, which means we take calls, we jump around on topics. You, you you know the drill. Uh Sam in North Carolina on WPTI. What's going on, Sam?
6: Hello, but uh, this is Sam. I'm uh, I'm calling from North Carolina. Uh, I like to listen to your radio talk. I'm actually from India. I'm I'm a uh, uh, I just wanted to ask you a question. I'm just playing a devil's advocate. Sure. Uh, I, I agree with your thing. I agree uh, everything. But what if if the Trump's uh, collusion is real? and something come up and and if it is I mean he wants to do favor to Russia and something bad to America, what what if what what happens?
4: Okay, so you're asking me in the hypothetical of what if the the worst case scenario that we've been led to believe for a while here is probably true, which I view as as almost laughably improbable, but you're asking me, what if that were to be true? Like what would my reaction be? Or what do you think I what do, what do I think should happen?
6: No, not your reaction, but what will happen? What will happen? Not your you know, that,
4: okay. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's more important than my reaction. I agree. Uh, I think if if they found, well, there's there's two different parts of that question. One of them is if the president uh, had broken federal law in some capacity, then I think you would have impeachment proceedings. I think he would. I, th- I think if he was if he was if it looked like he was guilty. Uh, I think you'd have impeachment proceedings and I think you'd have the president probably resign before he could be removed from office. Although I don't know. Um, But and if it's just so that's if it's a criminal issue and then he might face charges, although you get into un you get into really uncharted and strange territory when you get into the possibilities of criminally charging a president, because it's not really clear you can even really do that while he's the president. Uh, And then on the other side of it, um, I would say. Uh, if it's just a political matter. So let's say he had a conversation with the Russians. And again, I don't believe this happened and I'm just playing out your hypothetical because you're you're asking and I, I understand uh, if he had a conversation where he was like, you know what you guys are doing uh, with the email hacking is great and I love it. And, you know, whatever you can do to help me win, you know, fantastic. That's not as I understand it, there's nothing illegal about that, but it would look really bad. I think that there would then be a very serious national conversation And I think the Republican Party would have to think about whether, you know, they would go forward with impeachment proceedings. But, you know, for example, even on that, I don't think they would. Uh, So it really depends on what this specific if we're talking felony criminal behavior, then I think the president would leave office uh, in one way or another. If it's just if it just looks bad, I don't think I think absent a crime to answer your question as succinctly now or rather to give you a bottom line. A uh, bottom line at the very end here. I think that without a crime, Trump stays in office. That's what
6: I think. Okay. I don't want that to be happen at all because I I love your country. I mean, like I love. I'm staying here. I we have the same kind of uh, government there in India, like conservative, more uh, wanted to like like give importance to nationality, national issues, and all. I love. I love it. Uh, I'm just wondering, so I, I had this question. No, it's a,
4: it's a totally <laughs> fair question, Sam. Thank you for calling in for more. Thank you for supporting the show, and thank you for calling in from uh, North Carolina. It's good to have you as part of Team Buck, my friend. Uh, Dave in Florida on WFLF. Hi,
7: Buck. Great show. Love what you're doing. Uh, Thanks, brother.
0: Appreciate the it.
7: Come, the Democrats failed to come up with their smoking guns, so I got to thinking about smoking guns. leads me to my action movie quote today. It's a little bit old.
0: Um,
8: guy and ain't much
0: of a living
4: boy uh, I don't know, is that like an old western
7: Clint Eastwood the outlaw of Josie
4: Wood yeah I, I was going to say an old Eastwood wait I look these this is my this is the soft underbelly of my action movie quote knowledge is is anything <laughs> western pre-1990 um, or 1980 maybe I'm, I'm going to be pretty weak on but uh well, what is the let me ask you since I got you on the phone, Dave? What is the best Clint Eastwood Western?
7: Wow, uh, I think you have to go back to the spaghetti westerns. Maybe the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, or for a few dollars more,
4: the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. All right, maybe I'll check it out. I got to see. Some, I'm sure some of the stuff is probably available on uh, on Netflix. But uh, Dave, you have a great weekend oh. down in Florida, sir. Shields high. Um, Ron in Ohio, WWVA. What's up, Ron?
5: Hey, how you doing, Bud? First-time caller.
4: I'm good, man. Thanks so much for calling in.
5: Hey, quick question. I'll be brief. Hey, you know as well as I do when you create a document on any device, it's digitally timestamped, correct? Uh, actually, I, is that I, date- I'm
4: not that good with technology. If you tell me, is that the case?
5: Yes, that's the case. All right. So if Comey, if Comey had actually created these documents within hours of meeting with Donald Trump, how come no one's actually? have him turn over that actual device so they could check the digital print on it, the digital timestamp on it.
4: Um well they might, right? I mean I I think he probably right. My my sense of this is that Comey realizes that uh whatever he used will be subpoenaed as part of the special counsel investigation. So it's very likely that Comey's uh Comey's written testimony will and, and maybe the device itself, although I, I don't know because I mean, now we're getting into the timeline issue, right? And also, I know Jeff exactly Sessions right. is is not happy with the uh, the well with Comey saying that he knew that he was going to recuse himself, and it, it, he was disparaging yeah. Sessions, it seemed, in the uh, testimony yesterday.
5: Well, see, I work at I work in an SIU department for a credit card company, and we do a lot with the you know documents, word documents, and we know these things are timestamped and digitally created, so. Any any first year IT person can it can retrieve that information, and I would be interested to see if that if that information actually correlates with the date and times that he says he put down in writing. Because I wonder if maybe after he got fired, he said, "Well, I'm going to go ahead and create these documents and then try to create them as to the best of his recollection, and may not be 100 percent accurate."
4: Yeah, I, I that would be certainly something we would want to know about, and this is all we're going to get a lot more information in time here uh, about what's about what's happened. And, and I, I think that there'll be much more for us to, uh, to sort of uh, chew on once we get, well, I, I guess the, the special counsel actually, unless there are leaks from it, uh, we won't really know much from that for a while. And my understanding is that much of, much of that work will be in secret. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, the, 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 oh, Come, the Comey situation. Policy, right? I mean, I, I can say this Comey's, uh ethical invincibility no longer exists to anybody who's being honest about the situation. So that's a change. Um but did Comey make up the timing of the memo? Did is the timeline gonna add up? I'm I'm not sure. We'll have to see. Well,
5: I gotta go, but I'll leave you with one last thing kind of be interesting if maybe he turns over his device and his hard drive was wiped out you
4: know what i mean oh yeah or like bleach bit like hillary because <laughs> you know she had nothing to hide Shield time <laughs> man! thanks for calling in ron people always forget about that by the way i mean part of the email the hillary email discussion that i think gets lost in in the shuffle is uh that th- she took extreme measures to try and get rid of all that stuff you know what i mean this was not she she there was an obvious concern about what was going on there they were erasing at at a professional and expert level information that was on some of those hard drives so i, I think that that is far too quickly uh for my taste at least far too quickly swept under the rug or, or left aside in these conversations um also in ohio jay on wwva hey jay hey how are you doing i'm all right man i'm good i'm ready to start my friday how about you um, or sorry, my weekend. I mean, sorry, my Friday's already going. <laughs> I gotta tell you. Oh, I knew what you meant. I, I'm
7: I'm more than ready. Yeah. I, I was just I'm thinking about Comey because I actually watched the whole thing because I'm I'm that politically. Wow, that's
4: dedication. I I almost bailed a couple of times. Uh,
7: no, watched it on Fox because as, as well as being a political nerd, I am a conservative political nerd. <laughs> And uh, I'm sitting there watching it, he just reminds me of one of those sort of loser guys that hangs out at the office and is never really doing his job really well, but does it well enough to stay in position and is always kind of looking for a way to cover himself so he doesn't get in trouble. But, you know, he doesn't really want to, you know, shake anybody up. He doesn't really want to do anything. He just sort of wants to keep it, the job, so he can make his paycheck and go home every night. You know, he it, because... It, Everything you said is qualified by "I may be wrong," or "this could be skewed somehow," or "I may not be remembering correctly." I'm like, what kind of a testimony is that? If you went into court and did that for your your, you know, personal life in a criminal situation, the the prosecutor would own you, and you'd go off to jail.
6: Oh yeah, you you mean
4: they like? Well, I'll answer your question, but I could be completely wrong on this one, and doing that over and over again. Yeah, look, Comey, yeah, oh. Comey's whole thing, the, the, way that, the, way, the way to advance yourself in a large government bureaucracy is to do exactly what you're told, and to be very officious, to be very all about the rules, and to be all about the institution itself. Uh, so that's... Do
7: everything, do everything by the book until someone higher up tells you not to do it by the book. And then do it the way they're saying, but cover your butt while you're doing it. Yeah.
4: I have a particular distaste for bureaucrats with power uh, because I, I think that in in order for most in order for most government bureaucrats to get very high up the the food chain, uh, there is a. A cultural process that takes place whereby they start to think of themselves more as a member of that institution than just, you know, an American citizen sometimes who has his first obligation to the American people in the Constitution. I'm not saying always, but th- th- this can happen with people that they become, in a sense, uh, institutionalized, not as in like they're no longer in control of their faculties, but that they put the institution first and foremost above all other considerations and concerns. And when you're talking to people at the FBI or at justice, they have a lot of power. Uh, And and we should bureaucrats with power. You should always be skeptical and always be concerned. But uh, Jay in Ohio, man, have a great weekend. Shields high. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, So I've got some uh, guests that will be joining us here. I know I said we're not just going to do Comey the whole show, though. Whatever you want to call and talk about, of course, we can going to be getting into the Abbasid revolution a little later. Oh, yeah, because today is when it started a long time ago. Uh, We'll talk about that. Also, uh, talk about the British election, and uh, I'll share some thoughts on whatever random topics come my way in the third hour. I think the whole third hour will go Comey, pretty much Comey free. So that'll be great. Team, we're going to hit a quick break. Come on up here in a second. I'll be back in just a minute. Welcome back, Team Buck. We're joined by Tiffany Goodbye, former colleague of mine from my earliest days at The Blaze. She is currently editor at Truth Revolt, co-founder at Chatter Media, contributor at The Rebel and a senior fellow at the London Center for Policy Research. Tiffany, great to talk to you again. It's been a while.
9: Great to talk to you. It has. Thanks for having me on the show, Buck.
4: I keep seeing stuff on social media about this, this woman who is an apologist for all things Islamism, I am told, and I read, named Linda Sarsour. W- what, who is this person, and, and why is she all over the media these days?
9: Well, it's very interesting, and some say that the left is really grooming her for some sort of political office. Linda Sarsour kind of came on the uh, scene as a Muslim feminist, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron, particularly considering she's touted women's rights in Saudi Arabia. She's very pro-Sharia law. And, um, you know, one of the worst things, and we'll get into it, even though it's a little bit heavy subject matter for a Friday, um, but she is actually a denigrated victims of female genital mutilation, which is a, an absolute barbaric practice that is uh, very prevalent in the Muslim world. And she said that uh, a victim of it, Ayan Hersiali, Ali, who you know, and Brigitte Gabriel, um, that she wished she could take their genitals away. So this is a feminist, mind you, but yet somehow she's become a darling of the left, Her husband and she are both apologists for Hamas and Hezbollah. This is all very well documented on social media. And yet she was one of the organizers of the Women's March, uh, which she uh, actually took part in with another Palestinian terrorist. And uh, this is now the left darling and that she has a very loyal following on social media. It's kind of funny because Courtney, love of all people, uh, recently called her out and, and said that she's certainly no feminist and that she's a fraud. And, of course, Linda has her, you know, her online social media minions kind of defending her at every turn. But she's very anti-Israel, you know, the whole gamut. But she, she certainly doesn't, I don't think, is a good representative for women's rights. And yet that is what the left is kind of trotting her out. So she's,
4: she's a defender of Islamism, a critic of Israel, and claims to be a feminist, but then also tries to whitewash the realities of uh, female genital mutilation. This, these are all incongruent things, it seems to me.
9: Well, correct. And then she's even denigrated those victims saying she wished she could take their genitals away entirely. So it's it's really actually what? quite appalling. But oh my yes, God. um there is a statement. I mean it's there. Uh, you know, the internet immortalizes everything that she wished she could take Ion Hershey Ali's and uh, Brigitte Gabriel's genitals away from them entirely. So this is a woman who's you know being So she's grotesque.
4: She's sentence. deeply I see I don't know much about her. I, I need to I need to follow uh, what's going on here with her a little more closely. She she is a grotesque and completely uh, disgusting person I mean that's C- in, in her public profile, I don't know maybe she's nice in person, but she says disgusting things
9: exactly and this the point is we have sunk so low in our discourse, and the left will it, it's actually quite amazing the things that they will defend and tolerate um just to be contrarian to what you know whatever they think a conservative might say or do that they would actually defend a person who holds these really abhorrent views. Now, with regard to female genital mutilation, I'll just touch on this for a moment. Um, Because it really has become quite prevalent here in the U.S., there's a case going on in Michigan right now um, where estimates of up to hundreds of girls and possibly more have undergone female genital mutilation by Muslim doctors in Michigan, and there's a big case going on right now. Victims are as young as seven years old, and the cases here in the U.S. have doubled in the last 10 years. So,
4: I spoke about this earlier in the week, but she's uh, she is she one of these people that says that it's no different than the procedure that a lot of men go through? Is she one of those?
9: She hasn't come out and directly said those things, but she advocates for Sharia law. She has, um, again, made those disparaging comments about victims of FGM. And it certainly does not use her platform to highlight it at all when there are over half a million women and girls in the U.S. living as victims of FGM. Um, So, you know, she may call herself a feminist, but this is an issue where she could lead, and she's definitely chosen not to.
4: What's that statistic? There are half a million girls who are women who are victims of the procedure in the U.S.?
9: In the U.S., and that is staggering, right? And you don't hear about it. I I did a special, I produced a special for The Rebel um, last year on this, and it's just incredible how feminists, the left, mainstream media are incredibly silent on the fact that half a million women and girls have been mutilated. I mean, this is just absolutely abhorrent. And to think that these doctors in Michigan practiced for over 12 years doing this. And, um, you know, again, it's silent. And thank God, you know, hopefully they're going to be held you know, accountable now. But how many other doctors and backroom clinics are are operating in the same way? And one of the things, I think one of the reasons that this, topic is really squashed is because whenever people do talk about it, particularly people on the left or members of the Muslim community, try to say that this is not a problem unique to Islamic cultures and and Islamic societies because it's also practiced in Africa, let's say. But the statistics are actually quite different. It really is most prevalent in the Arab, or I should say Muslim world. And just because some of those countries, like Indonesia, don't keep great records on those issues because they want to pretend they don't exist, those are actually where they are. it's the widest spread problem. So that's one of the reasons why we don't hear a lot about it.
4: Yeah, the social justice warriors once again trying to uh, hide hide the truth and hide facts on certain issues that make them Uncomfortable, uh, despite the fact that this should be well beyond the realm of politics. This is just a basic uh, human rights and and dignity issue. Uh, Tiffany, where can people go to read your writing?
9: Uh, Well, a few places. TruthRevolt.org is a primary vehicle, sometimes front page magazine as well. And, um, you know, I have various pieces at times published in The Tower and some other outlets, but Truth Revolt is uh, where I blog mostly for some of my shorter pieces. So.
4: All right, Tiffany, goodbye, editor at Truth Revolt. Great to have you. Thanks so much, Tiffany. Good to talk to you.
9: Thanks. Likewise,
2: Freedom Hut rocks online too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to bucksexton.com. Bucksexton.com. That's bucksexton.com. Are you not entertained? Shields high. All right, everybody. There was a big election that
4: happened in the UK. What went down and what does it mean? We are joined now by Tom Rogan. He's a contributor at uh well he's a, a writer for National Review and you should follow him at Tom R tweets Tom you also see him regularly on Fox News Tom great to have you
8: Good to be with you really Buck I actually should just I just joined uh actually Washington Examiner as a commentary writer there so that's that's changed now but um look the the point to take away I think for the election is that Theresa May didn't do nearly as well as she was anticipated Yeah first tell
4: everybody what happened because they may have missed it in the in the the yeah. rush of uh, Trump uh, so Therese,
8: stuff Therese, Theresa May in April called an election, which you're allowed to do in the UK as Prime Minister. There has to be an election every five years, but as Prime Minister, you can call one whenever you want. She called one because the poll showed her 20, 30 points up, and she thought she could add 40 seats to her majority in Parliament, which would make passing legislation much easier and give her a stronger hand, as she suggested in the negotiations with Brexit. The reality, yesterday, uh, she lost seats. Uh, The Conservatives lost their majority. Now, they've formed a deal, or they will form a deal this weekend with a conservative party from Northern Ireland, so they'll be able to pass legislation. But the point to take away is that she called an election she didn't need to to try and strengthen her hand, and she weakened it. So it's been a big loss to her credibility, uh, although she will remain prime minister.
4: So was the reality here that she was under the impression that it was a mandate for her, the the election before this, when, it, when in reality it was just the Brexit wave with UKIP in the mix that she was riding, and the moment that it was more about Theresa May didn't work out as she thought.
8: Yeah, I think there's that. I also think that the campaign she ran, she refused to attend the debate. That made her look weak, made her look arrogant. Uh, it was a really stupid thing to do. Even conservatives would say that. And that annoyed Britons. You know, Britons like to um, agitate against their politicians. You don't see the same kind of respect uh, as much as that might surprise Americans to to have it described that way um, for politicians in the UK as you do in the United States. And so, I think when she was seen to be calling this election for very sort of you know. Party political interests rather than the interests of the country when she was seen to be arrogant a lot of people just decided i'm going to you know give a one-fingered salute at the voting booth uh, and that is why uh, jeremy corbyn who is much more to the left than most britons uh, actually came close to, to getting in I, I i have to say i, I am breathing uh, as i think many people would be uh, a sigh of relief that he did not get in because he is uh well, he's very anti-American, but he's also fanatically to the left.
4: Yeah, t- tell us a bit about Corbyn. First of all, I saw that he got a, a substantial portion—I believe it was even an outright majority—of younger voters. Uh, I think it was under thirty-five or close to that demographic category were voting for this guy, Corbyn. How how wacko is this guy?
8: Uh, very wacko. I mean, you know, Hugo Chavez fan, big fan of Castro um socialism is the way to go america is evil in the the role it plays in the world um he described Hezbollah Lebanese Hezbollah and Hamas as his friends and invited them to parliament uh, he is really really out there but look you give the guy credit he he did what very few western politicians have been able to do which is to mobilize young people and get them to turn out they turned out for him they turned out for him more than bernie sanders young supporters considerably I mean, they were the crunch factor here. Um, but I also think now that he is essentially the establishment Labour figure, right, he's moved that party to the left. And because of this result, he will remain leader of the opposition, uh, as it is termed in the UK. Uh, there needs to be a tougher pushback from Conservatives, especially to younger voters, both here uh, and in the UK. So, so, for example, I've just written a piece which should be out in the next, well, should be out um, in the next couple of days, talking about, um, or today, the the problems with Corbyn's ideology and his record in terms of how, you know, they're just not realistic, right? If young people care about facts and are disillusioned by lying from politicians, well, look at Jeremy Corbyn's sums, his math, what he offers, and look at the record of history uh, and the basic assessments of facts and math in terms of how what he is offering is patently untrue, we have to call this out now as conservatives. I don't think we can we can sit on our laurels and say, "Well, he's just a big lefty." We have to say, in a forensic sense, here is the lie, uh, and you know, here is why it would hurt you.
4: Speaking to Tom Rogan, he is columnist at the Washington Examiner. You can check out his latest at WashingtonExaminer.com. dot uh, com. What does this mean for? if anything, for U.S.-U.K. relations under May uh, go and, and the conservatives with their narrow majority going forward. Is, does this change much or is it pretty much going to be business as usual from the American side of things?
8: It, 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 the issue will be it will probably encourage Theresa May to be more skeptical of President Trump but functionally it won't change things uh theresa may and the conservatives who look theresa may in the next few months this is important may actually uh be forced to step down the conservative backbenchers, the mps members of parliament um you know who were not part of her ministerial team are very upset that she ran this poor campaign and lost them seats so they may force her to resign but the, the important point is even if we get a new prime minister in the next few months and, and, you know, one caveat there, the party that has the most, that has the majority in parliament, uh, if they select a new leader, it doesn't require a new election. So so it's just an internal party thing. But whoever the next prime minister is, or if Theresa May stays as prime minister, functionally it will not make a difference to the US-UK special relationship, because whoever that person is, you know, to some degree will value that relationship, certainly much, much, much more than Jeremy Corbyn would have.
4: Apart from the election result, Tom, what's your assessment of Theresa May, just as as a politician and 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 her agenda? I mean, what 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 should we know about her? You know, we're 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 not really that familiar. Obviously, we got our own political mess to handle over here.
8: Yeah, well, look, she, she one thing she's very good at, and perhaps that's the right time for that kind of this kind of leader is counterterrorism. She was the minister responsible for MI5, which you know well, uh, the domestic intelligence service. Um, has a very good reputation as being a calm and prudent leader on counterterrorism issues. But beyond that, she's not charismatic. She is quietly arrogant. You wouldn't see her, you know, making a speech saying how, you know, behind the scenes, saying how wonderful she is. She's not like President Trump in that regard. But but she doesn't like to listen to counsel. She has a very small group around her. Uh, She's also seen as someone who is a sort of big government conservative. She she wants low taxes, she wants uh, reforms to some programs, but she also wants to have a situation in which, for example, there is a constantly increasing minimum wage, um, and you know, the, 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 like you know, other areas to, to get into the weeds about you know corporate tax reform, etc., which which perhaps might not be seen as traditionally free market conservatives. So I think she has a problem, but I, I, yeah, I, I don't see with with people I've talked to in London today the momentum, and you know, uh, you know that when when the momentum shifts in politics. It, it, it tends to keep shifting in that direction, especially after an election. So I, I suspect uh, we will see a leadership election in the Conservative Party, probably not in the next month, but probably as we come into the fall, um, you know, for a replacement uh, candidate. Now, again, I have another piece to, to picture myself at the Examiner. Uh, This afternoon on on five candidates who are probably at the top of the list to replace her. So people can read that.
4: We're speaking to Tom Rogan of the Washington Examiner. Tom, uh, what's the latest on the uh, the individuals behind the London London Bridge attacks and their connections to other jihadists from what we know?
8: Yeah, well, look, I mean, we've seen... This, it's, it's very interesting. The British are keeping that uh, investigation very quiet. They want to avoid some of the leaks uh, that came out in the U.S. press after the uh, Manchester attack. But I think it's going to turn out that there's going to be a more direct hand of ISIS involvement here, especially with... Um, you know, Well, in the Manchester attack in terms of the uh, training for, to make the explosive device. Um, but in London... Uh, the sense of, of which these individuals, at least in one case, were not known to the authorities is odd. It's different. You know? and, and I say that it's different in the sense that in the UK, people complain about civil liberties here. In the UK, if the intelligence services want to monitor you, they don't need a judicial warrant. The Home Secretary, a politician can authorize that. And of course, the politician's interest is avoiding a situation where after an attack, someone can say, well, we gave them a request to monitor this person, and she, he or she said no, so the politicians always accept it. So the British literally have hundreds of thousands of files on people, uh, most of which are harmless, but, but the fact they didn't even know this guy, that he wasn't on the counterterrorism radar, suggests that ISIS skill uh, with some of their operatives in, in taking very, very op- uh, operationally, um, you know, well, op- the, the operational security that, that, that was shown in this, op- in this event is uh, concerning, I think, in, in terms of what it might say about connectivity with ISIS central and that this would not be, for example, an Omar Mateen-style inspired attack. That, that, is, that is my uh, intuition on this thus far.
4: Tom Rogan of, Wa- of the Washington Examiner. Check out his latest at washingtonexaminer.com. Tom, great to have you, sir. Have a fantastic weekend.
8: You too, Buck. Thanks a lot. And I would say as well, at the moment, with the uh, all this stuff going on with this terrorism, it's um, it's glad that we have a, a an ex-CIA person who's not full of it uh, talking about this stuff on the conservative side, because you know, and I know, there are a lot of those people.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Tom. You're you're very kind. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah. I uh, have a good weekend, man. Yeah. You know, I I, I try to uh, I, you know I I downplay most of my uh, counterterrorism background, and I'm always amazed that there are so many people who go on television. Who are in this endless loop of uh, self-aggrandizing and and pretending that they had uh, much more in depth and hands on uh, experience and knowledge than they do? Uh, I mean, the, the test it seems to me for some of these people to go on TV and talk about terrorism is much more a political one than a an experiential or knowledge based one, which. Comes across When you watch some of these segments, if you were actually a practitioner, you can see oftentimes uh, there are people that just are saying things that anybody could say, and it has nothing to do with any background in counterterrorism whatsoever. It's just the most baseline talking points that are serving a partisan purpose. So I appreciate that. That was an unsolicited plug from Tom, but uh, it was very kind of him, and Tom's a good man. Uh, Team, we are going to go... Into a quick break here. We have a lot more show, including a third hour free of Comey. I'll be right back. Fix it up with a little history, shall we? So today is June 9th, as you no doubt know. Uh, but you may not know that it is the anniversary of from quite a ways back of the Abbasid Revolution. And you're like, Buck, what is the Abbasid Revolution? Well, the Abbasids were a dynasty. Uh, In fact, the Abbasid uh, was a caliphate. And the Abbasid Revolution was when the Umayyads, who had previously been uh, holders of the caliphate mantle, uh, began to lose it to the dynasty that would supplant them, the Abbasid. So let's step this back a little bit, just so I give you some of the um, some of the the back story so that you can understand why I'm even telling you about this in the first place uh, this happened in the the Abbasid revolution happened in the eighth century ad 740 746 in fact on june 9th which is why I'm talking about it it's when the Abbasid revolution began um, and they as I said were taking they were taking power from the Umayyads uh, you have to go even earlier than that though and in fact Here's another little bit of his, uh, history trivia for you. Yesterday is the day that it is said the Prophet Muhammad died. He uh, is supposed to have passed away on June 8th in 632. And right after Muhammad, you have uh, a series of succession struggles. If you're going to understand early Well, any Mideast history, really. But if you're going to understand the early history of Islam, you think about it in terms of lineage uh, and dynasty and, and tribal succession, and then everything begins to fall into place. But it's immensely complicated, and the history is not always great, depending on which area you're in, in terms of the accuracy and the primary sources. But right after the prophet dies, you have the uh, Rashidun Caliphate, uh, the rightly guided caliphate, or caliphs rather, uh, which is what they were called. Um, And then you had the Umayyads. Now, the Umayyads were uh, run out of Damascus, so that was their capital. Uh, The Abbasids would be run out of Baghdad later on, but like I said, we'll get there. But in the earliest days, right after Muhammad died, there was... Uh, a back-and-forth over leadership. There was a leadership struggle. And some wanted to make the of the Ummah, the Muslim community, uh, a person based on lineage directly to Muhammad. And others thought that it should be uh, the leaders of the community picking someone to lead the Ummah, the Islamic community. And Abu Bakr uh, was... Their choice. This then broke down into what became the Shia-Sunni split, right? Sunni is those who follow the Sunnah, which are the traditions, the traditions of the Prophet. And that's most of the Muslim world uh, today, by the way. About uh, 80% of the Muslim world is Sunni, or they follow Sunni Islam. And about ish roughly speaking. Uh, Shia comes from Shiat Ali, the partisans of Ali. And in fact, uh, at the Battle of Karbala, Hussein ibn Ali from the guy who gave us Shi'atli, who was Muhammad's grandson, he was killed. That was in 680 CE. Well, in the decades after that, uh, the Umayyads, through a series of very rapid conquests, stretch all the way from Spain to the Indus River. I mean, they just are taking control of everything. Um, And they are Arab and they are Muslim. Well, part of the problem... Comes with their treatment of non-Muslims, and in fact, even Muslims who are non-Arab. Um, and this wasn't the first time, by the way. There was, uh, or this isn't the only schism. I should say, the Sunni-Shia schism. There was also an early sect within Islam in the in the immediate uh, decades after Muhammad died. Uh, called the Karajites. Uh, that's from the Arabic for al-Khariji, which is to, to leave or to exit. But these were the earliest heretics, um, and they were extremists. They also practiced takfir, which means that they thought that Muslims who did not agree with their interpretation were no longer Muslims. And so there are some who would say that al-Qaeda and the Islamic State today, because of their takfir, uh, takfiri practices, are the modern-day Karajites. But the Umayyads were ruling from Damascus and in Khorasan, which is the region that is really Iran and the surrounding stands and Afghanistan, uh, there was the there was an uprising. It started on June 9th, 746. Uh, there was a, a fitna, a discord, disagreement. Well, the first fitna in Islam refers to a civil war, but this was a, another uh, civil war within the Ummah and the uh, Abbasids. Comes from Al Abbas, by the way. Al Abbas was one of the Prophet uh, Muhammad's uncles. That's where that name comes from. Uh, eventually, were able through this uh, through this fighting, starting in Khorasan, which is roughly speaking Iran, and this was driven in part by Persians who felt they were being mistreated by their Arab Muslim overlords in Damascus, the Umayyads. But it was Persians and others uh, were able to overthrow that dynasty, seize power, and establish. Their seat of power from uh, the origins of the uh, revolution in Khorasan in Baghdad. And then you had uh, a couple of hundred years of Abbasid rule um, from Baghdad. And the Cal- it was one of the most impressive caliphates in terms of its expansionism and control. So uh, happy Abbasid Revolution Day, everybody. June 9th. We'll be right
5: back.
2: The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not Shields high.
4: First came the Women's March, and then there was the Climate March. Now, my friends, you can all get ready for yet another anti-Trump extravaganza. Uh, This time, the Equality March. That is not specifically anti-Trump, but of course it comes at a time when progressives believe, the the left in this country is under the impression, that they are uh, under constant assault. Anything that is identified as a progressive cause, any liberal policy agenda item is viewed as in the midst of an unprecedented attack by the Trump administration, despite no actual absence of attack in some cases, right? I I do think it's fascinating that there will be so many people who talk about how the Equality March, as it is being called, and it will be this Sunday and in cities across the country, uh, certainly in Washington, D.C., but all across the country. uh, This is the Equality March for Unity and Pride, uh, which is a protest by and for LGBTQ people, and it is expected a few hundred thousand uh, protesters or marchers or, or both. I, I don't know if it's a protest or a march per se. I think you could argue that it is both. Uh, but Donald Trump, uh, at a few different points in his campaign, made quite clear that he's uh, completely friendly to and supportive of the uh, LGBTQ community. Uh, it, it's it's a worthwhile historical note, I think, that President Barack Obama, uh, when he was trying to win election and for the first few years of his presidency, uh, was a traditional marriage candidate, i.e. President Obama was well into his 40s, somebody who, as a matter of public policy, believed that marriage was between a man and a woman, and received almost no Blowback for that position, whatsoever. There was really not much of a uh, not much of an uproar about it. And and as we remember, Joe Biden was the one who first seemed to break the ice for the administration on the issue of of uh, same sex marriage. But in at a time when, if you're the CEO of a tech company in California, you can after the fact. Lose your job and be punished for previous support of traditional marriage in the state of California through ballot referendum, which many of you will recall that actually happened to a, a tech CEO. He in 2008, I guess it was, had supported uh, the ballot referendum in California regarding same sex marriage to well to make it to to not. Uh, support same-sex marriage, and later on he was fired from his position because that support came out. Uh, Barack Obama was a traditional marriage candidate until he wasn't, and everybody was fine with it, and they just moved on. You'll never hear people really talk much about this, uh, this issue, and uh, they just act like Barack Obama all along was uh, going to be a uh, same-sex marriage advocate. But as an, another aside... Uh, if you recall, Hillary Clinton, this was
1: Texas, just to name one uh, where that uh, is still going to be an ongoing struggle. I'm pretty sure you didn't answer my question about whether you evolved or it was the American public that changed. Whether you, because I said <laughs> I'm an American, so of course we all evolved, and I, I think that that's a fair. So your you know, opinion changed. Fair so you're saying your opinion on gay marriage changed, as opposed to you know you just felt it was. Some, somebody is just, always first, Terry. Somebody's always out front, <laughs> and thank goodness they are. Um, but that doesn't mean that those who join later uh, in being publicly supportive or even privately accepting. Uh, that uh, there needs to be change, are any less committed. You could not be having the sweep of marriage equality across our country uh, if nobody changed their mind. And
4: And that was Hillary Clinton with this NPR uh, radio host. And I give the NPR host credit because to to tangle with Hillary in this way and point out her obvious flip-flop on this, remember her husband, Bill, uh, signed the Defense of Marriage Act. It was politically popular at the time. Uh, and H- Hillary had been a traditional marriage candidate, whatever you want to say about how traditional her marriage is, uh, for quite a long time in public office. Remember, this isn't a private citizen who then gets into office and changes. This is somebody who has been in public office, and you can just hear in that inter- interview, by the way, one of the uh, the uh, defining characteristics of Hillary Clinton, which is just a, a phoniness that drips off of her, a, a phoniness that comes across in her voice, in her words. It says, you know, well, there's always people who are first. And she did not like being uh, challenged in this interview, by the way. This is a fun little throwback. It's Friday, so why not? Here, I just want to play a little more of this NPR. Uh, Hillary running for office, getting called out on being a flip-flopper on uh, same-sex marriage. Here's what what happened. So
1: that's one for You changed your mind. (laughs) You know, I really, I have to say, I think you are um, being very persistent, but you are playing with my words and playing with what is such an I'm just trying to clarify so I can understand. No, I don't (laughs) think you are trying to clarify. I think you're trying to say that, you know, I used to be uh, opposed and now I'm in favor and I did it for political
4: reasons. And that's just. That's exactly why she did it. I mean, does she really think we're all that stupid? Well, the answer is yes, which is why Hillary. Uh, didn't win, um, if she had been a better candidate, a more compelling candidate, uh, despite the Trumpian surge, uh, I, I think it would have, well, it certainly would have been closer than it was. Uh, but Hillary is a, is a huge phony on this issue. Barack Obama was able to evolve, as they say, on this issue. I believe that was his word, or it was Biden's word, or maybe it was both of them using that word. But now we have marches for the LGBTQ uh, and there's a plus at the end of it and I ask this in all seriousness I do not know what the plus I guess that means and more or something like et cetera. Uh, but because I see and Vox which I take as because it's a very left-wing progressive site uh, Vox is to progressives what um, I don't know I just realized what the New York Times is to progressive. I mean it's all the same isn't it they all take the same positions but for the LGBTQ plus community to have a specific march, remember, it's not pride. This is Gay Pride Month, and in New York City where I live, there will be the uh, gay pride, or just uh, they just call it pride now, pardon me, uh, they just call it pride, the pride parade, which I have inadvertently uh, seen and been around many times because it happens in my neighborhood where I live, it actually goes right past uh, where, well, where I used to live, used to go right past the window. So for the entire day, if I was in New York City, I would hear and see pretty much all of it. Um, but Pride isn't for a couple of weeks. Uh, this is a specific addendum to the series of marches. And look, you know, Pride is, that that's great. I hope everyone has a, you know, a, a great day. Uh, but the Women's March, the March for Science, and now the Equality March, these are all supposed to be in a series of... Uh, raising awareness of the looming fascism of Donald Trump and what a terrible person Trump is. And I just have to say, uh, I think it's really disingenuous for uh, activists and people that follow these issues closely and very passionately to allow there to be this perception that Donald Trump is hostile to the LGBTQ community. There's just no basis for it. In fact, I believe he held up a pride flag, the a rainbow, uh, rainbow flag, Uh, At one of his rallies during the campaign. I mean, just just took it from the crowd and held it up. Uh, Donald Trump is a New Yorker like me. um, And there's something about being a New Yorker, I will say that you just get used to accepting everybody and you you let people do their thing and uh, you're. You're just, Donald Trump is just not anti, anti-gay anti or anti-LGBTQ in any capacity. There's nothing about him that suggests that. But this march is supposed to imply it, right? Just like all the endless coverage of Russia and all that stuff is supposed to imply that he's a traitor, this equality march—and no problem with equality marches. By the way, peaceful marches—and isn't it a shame that we even have to specify that now? But people want to get together and get the permits and whatever their political cause may be. God bless. This is America. You know, will I make fun of their message sometime if I think people are acting like idiots, as has happened during the women's march in particular, but the climate march as well? Well, the climate march was like the coldest, rainiest, nastiest day here in New York City. It's like, yeah, climate. It's a tough one, isn't it? Uh, but I'm fine with this in principle. I think all of us are. You want to march? You want to you know, hold up your placards and, and talk about your issue? That's great. But I just think that there's a dishonesty behind this one in particular. You can say that Trump, because of his statements... Is, he's not a climate alarmist, and he hasn't, he's got guys like Scott Prude of the EPA who are not climate alarmists, so fine. You can say he's anti-women uh, for, well, a whole bunch of reasons that the Democrats raised during the campaign, um, but given that the Democrat Party just completely excuses Bill Clinton, never mind the Kennedys, Teddy Kennedy. I mean, you go down the line of all the philandering, abusing— uh, true misogynists who are held up as the uh, as as figureheads. I mean, who are held up as the great names of the 20th century and into the 21st century Democrat Party. Uh, it's it's a disgrace. So it's very hard to take them seriously on that issue. Um, but uh, looking at this uh, this March for Equality, uh, it's going to happen this Sunday, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of anti-Trump signs. And I just hope some people are asked the question. Why is it that Donald Trump is the first president, remember this, he is the first president to have been, uh, from, the, from the get-go, um, fine with same-sex marriage from his first day in office, and Barack Obama was not officially on the record. He was a traditional ma- marriage candidate, and yet they're having this march when, when Trump is president. H- how is Trump a threat to the LBGTQ community? in what way? I mean, I know people could conjure up, oh, well, his Supreme Court picks down the line, but he's not hostile to the LGBTQ community. So why is it uh, a march that needs to happen, really, if it's about Trump? Now, they may claim that it's not about Trump, but that seems also to be on its face, not really honest, because you had the Women's March, the Climate March, now the LGBTQ March. I'm sure there's if there isn't already planned, there will be at some point an illegal immigrants march. They'll call it an immigrant march, but they mean an illegal immigrant march. So I think that that's something else that we should all be ready for down the line. And I, I, I just wish that there was a little more honesty with what Trump with what Trump's faults are. There are places where I can understand that progressives and Democrats uh, are going to have obvious disagreements with the president. They, they clearly have... Uh, sweeping disdain for the president but to claim that he is th- this threat to lgbtq issues is just it's just nonsense it's just d- disconnected it's just disconnected from reality and i wonder what the coverage will be like of this march on sunday um i will be looking uh, eagerly at the newspapers to see what they have to say about this uh team we are going to hit a quick break we've got much more coming stay with me Speaking of marches, the Puerto Rican Day Parade here in New York City is also happening on Sunday. So in D.C. and other cities across the country, you have the March for Equality. Here in New York City, you have one of the largest parades in the city, and I would assume, therefore, in the country as well. And just for the purposes of full disclosure, let me say this. I I don't like parades. Uh, the only parades that I can get behind or get excited about our uh, celebrations of, uh, veterans. Mm, that's pretty much it. I, 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 can't even say as a, somebody who's roughly half Irish in terms of my, uh, d- descents, uh, descents, gosh, descendants, or where I descend from, from whom I descend, uh, I can't even get that excited about the St. Patrick's Day Parade. I just don't like parades. It's not even really about the subject matter. Again, I make an exception for veterans parades. But other than that, I feel like they, in an urban place like New York, they just clog up the whole city. There's a tremendous le- uh, mess left behind afterwards. And it's just always kind of a letdown. You know, you stand there and it just goes on and on. And you're standing and it goes on. And I don't understand. I think parades are one of the more overrated. Parts of uh, our, I don't know, of, of American culture. We we have this thing about parades all the time, and I just, I don't, I don't really get it. You know, it doesn't really make sense. People want to stand and watch the parade. Look, it's fine. I'm not putting it down. It's just not my thing. I, I don't, I don't like parades. But then again, I'm curmudgeonly and don't like shoes that aren't super comfortable, and also hate when people whistle in public or get very aggravated when I'm. Uh, in a movie theater and someone starts talking. So I look, I've I've got some issues. I understand that, but I don't like parades uh, as a general rule. So I'll just put that out there for purposes of fairness, parades. And, and you know, another one picnics people always, well, you know, picnic. Oh, it's so fun. You get the basket and you get out there. It's like, well, first of all, am I, am I sitting on the ground during this picnic? Well, what am I, is, is that supposed to be comfortable? Uh, by the way, what kind of pants am I supposed to wear that I'm sitting on the grass or the dirt, and I don't I don't care about them? Right, I know I'm sounding again curmudgeonly, but let's let's get real about picnics for a second. So you sit down on the grass, and you, you know what? Uh, you then where does that? You know, you're supposed to be okay with this. All right, anyway. So picnics are not as fun as people say. That. Also, you always forget something. You know, you're like, oh, where is uh, where is my my fig uh, you know jam that I need to make sure that my the flavors of my camembert come out properly, you know? I know, I'm sounding a little little, uh, little, petty bourgeois here, but you know what I'm saying. I just don't like, I don't like picnics, I don't like parades. Puerto Rican Day Parade will happen this Saturday, I mean this Sunday in New York City, and it is uh, getting some attention because of uh, the politics that have intruded on it this year. Um, you have uh, Oscar Lopez uh, Rivera, who will... Uh, who will be marching, he'll be an honored guest, uh, who is a, com- he was a convicted of seditious conspiracy, I mean, this guy was involved in the terrorist organization, uh, he was involved with the FALN that uh, killed people and down at Francis Tavern uh, planted a bomb, uh, they wanted Puerto Rican independence, uh, by the way, Puerto Rico needs a lot of help uh, right now, as you may be aware from some of the news headlines, it's It's uh, bankrupt. And uh, a huge percentage of the uh, of the territory—it's not a state, of course, a territory—is on Medicaid. So it's there's a lot of welfare going on in Puerto Rico right now, and they don't have enough money to pay for stuff there, and they got a lot of problems. There's also, unfortunately, there have been reports of a lot of Zika on the island as well. Uh, so Puerto Rico's got problems. Uh, it's got problems. Anyway, this uh, Puerto Rican Day Parade— uh, has issues because 25 of 50 floats, which are sponsored, uh, you know, sponsored uh, for the event, are, they're only 25, rather, out of 50, uh, because half of them dropped out as a result of Oscar Lopez Rivera being honored here. Uh, Very interesting that Obama would decide to commute the sentence, the, uh, the sentence, look, the guy served 35 years, he's 74 years old, but um, he's uh, involved in terrorist activity. Uh, why would you commute his sentence? And it's just like what uh, Hillary had Bill Clinton do before he left office. Uh, Democrats, when it comes to the Latino and Hispanic vote in this country, are are willing to, to pander in, in whatever way they possibly can, including uh, commuting the sentences of terrorists, uh, convicted terrorists. So that's a shame because it's going to hang a dark cloud over, although I think the weather will actually be beautiful, but it's going to be something that is affecting perceptions of this parade in New York City uh, on a day when I think a lot of uh, Puerto Ricans could really use a, a nice day to to celebrate and not have to worry about the uh, political implications of honoring somebody or including somebody in this parade who is a... Uh, well commuted had his sentence commuted because he was involved with a terrorist group Uh, so that's what's going to be again you got two you got well not two but uh, the March for Equality and the Puerto Rican Day Parade this weekend so uh, a lot of stuff happening in cities if you want to avoid traffic jams and a lot of noise my recommendation to you would be to uh, and a lot of you are like Buck. I live far away from any parades this is a problem for you not a problem that uh, I will have to deal with this weekend. And lucky you, I'm sure that is the case. Uh, anyways, Puerto Rican parades happening. I, I just, I, I don't like parades. Um, and I, I don't understand why people do. A list of things that are, that are, it's just, they're, it, they're overrated. A list of things that I find are deeply overrated in, a, in American society. You know, parades are high on the list, picnics. I'll even say it, and people get mad at me for this. Most of the time, live music is overrated. I love some live music. It can be amazing. But going to a huge concert most of the time doesn't, end, doesn't turn out the way people want it to. I'm just saying, I know, get mad, yell, say that you had the best time ever. But I speak the truth.
2: The Freedom Hut rocks online, too. You can hang out with Team Buck anytime. Plus, get Buck's latest news and analysis. Go to BuckSexton.com. BuckSexton.com. That's BuckSexton.com. Are you not Shields high. As the weather gets warm here in New York
4: City, there are a number of uh, charity events that try to take advantage of uh, outdoor spaces and all kinds of, of good causes. I, I walked past a... I think it's it was a pop-up shop puppy adoption that was just right in the area of my uh, apartment and they were just they were handing out the cutest puppies it was like $100 for you know for the shots and and the paperwork and then you get the puppy and I just I thought about it guys I'm I'm still thinking about it but need to get uh Miss Molly totally on board and then we can uh, move move forward on on some puppy stuff but uh, speaking of Molly, we went to an event last night. Uh, it started it was kind of a later event at night, uh, but it was for the Wildlife Conservation uh, Society, um, which runs programs all over the world for uh, endangered species. Uh, they have programs uh, in the field to help uh, gorillas, uh, elephants and tigers uh, well help with conservation. I make it sound like they're just running around hanging out with them. But yeah, they they do conservation for some of the most important uh, important endangered species all over the world. But you know, I was at this event and I was thinking to myself but how I wish there were some things that I had known. And this is applicable if you're at a uh, if you're at a wedding, but I know it's wedding season for some of you listening, whether you're parents of people who are going to be getting married or if you're in that age range where all of a sudden all your friends start getting married and if you're not married yet and you're dating somebody wedding season all of a sudden you drive back from some of those lovely uh from the, the beautiful setting and the uh, l- lovely dancing and the great food and the drive home can be a little bit of so your friends take the next step what what, what about you so i don't know if any of you have ever experienced that uh, i i'm and i'm just i just hear things from people you know I, i've heard things from people who have heard things but uh, you know, wedding season. This is true in general. Any event, any function where you have to be around a lot of people and you have to be, you know, dressed up, business casual, or no, not business casual. Sorry, uh, semi-formal or more business casual is not count. If you get to wear like Dockers and a and a collared shirt, then some of this won't make any sense. Um, so first off, suits are just not comfortable. Uh, I know that I have to I have to wear a suit when I go on TV, and uh, I I understand that. This is just in Western society, we we wear suits. Most of the time with the suit, we wear a tie, although not always. Uh, There's just no such thing as a suit that's as comfortable as my sweatpants. And and my boat shoes are more comfortable than any lace-up shoes I've ever come across in my life. Uh, And honestly, sometimes I wish I could wear flip-flops instead of boat shoes. But, ooh, I have to be civilized, you know? I mean, especially when the ladies get all dressed up. You don't want to be that guy who um, looks like he uh, just rolled off his couch after watching, I don't know, maybe he was maybe he was binge watching The Last Kingdom, I'm Uhtred, son of Utred, for like the third time, but anyway, maybe he had to get dressed in a hurry last night so he could make it to the event, um, but there's, the suit is never really, never really that comfortable, uh, so that's one thing, you just have to get used to the fact that if you're wearing a suit after a while, you're going to be like, eh. I know some of you probably think they're comfortable, I don't know, I, I never think, when I say they're not comfortable, I'm not saying you're uncomfortable, it's just... You know, and I know the women listening are like, "Why don't you try six-inch heels, Buck?" And you know, I mean, it might be an interesting experiment just to kind of get a sense of it. Uh, ladies, I don't know how you do it. I'm all about comfortable feet. I get super grumpy when I can't have comfortable feet. And you know, there, 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 you have it. Uh, another thing: whenever they make drinks at these things that come in the big, uh, that come in a large container of some kind, you know, the punch bowl style serving routine, I find they almost always put way too much sugar in it. And we, we just, as a society, need to stop putting too much sugar in our drinks. Sugar in drinks is just, it's just wasted calories and it's bad. I know, I sound a little bit like the high school dean right now that's telling kids to drink uh, milk or water instead of Coca-Cola. But I, I mean, for for mixed drinks as well, any kind of drink, whether it's a punch that has a little bit of a oomph, you know, in it, or if it's just, you know, you're drinking virgin pina coladas, there's there's too much sugar in all this stuff. That was another... Uh, item that I had I had a couple of friends who were there who are single gentlemen out on the town and I was trying to uh, impart some of my wisdom from many years of both successful and failed uh, dating in New York City which I like to think I'm I'm a veteran of the New York City dating wars Uh, for example I, I try to convince them that when you're at a party you just have to, as a guy, because they're they're there to get and you know, meet some nice ladies, maybe get a phone number, take someone out to dinner, right? I mean, I was there with my girlfriend, and uh, my brother was there with his girlfriend, and so we were just trying to have a nice time and support, you know, like literally save save the elephants, right? That was the idea. Um, and these the guys though who are single, I, I try to talk to them and explain to them what they should be, uh, what they should be doing in in their approach, um. They should just go, and this is my advice. And it's really my advice at any party or any gathering. Just go and talk. Just just find, look at somebody who seems like they'll be friendly, uh, and just start talking to them. If you if you don't know anybody there, just be like you know, hey, look at you know, look at this. It doesn't have to be you're trying to pick somebody up, but it just you just want to get in the mode of I'm not, I don't have walls up, and I I don't want to talk to people, especially if you're a guy who's trying to talk to some girls. I think. You, you have to break the ice with yourself, meaning you have to be willing to go out there and start uh, speaking to people right away. I wish I had known this in my 20s. I didn't really learn it until my 30s. In my 20s, I was like, oh, maybe, maybe somebody can introduce me to that attractive woman in the corner. Maybe I have a friend who has a friend who has a friend. No, 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 no. You just walk over and just start talking. People, this is one thing that I have definitely learned in life. People like being talked to by people who are trying to be nice and having good time and have good energy. And if they don't, that's not on you and better to know than not know. Um, Another thing for, for my, the the guys I was out with last night, trying to, trying to help them acquire some uh, new phone numbers. I was thinking, you know, you've got to understand guys. This is what I was saying to them. So I'm talking to them as though I'm some sort of a coach here. It's fun when you're not in the game and you just get to coach other guys who are trying to go out there and, and, uh, and make some new friends, uh, I said to them, you know, you've got to see rejection not as failure but as a necessary precondition before success. You have to be willing to go out there and talk to somebody and get snubbed or have her say, you know, I'm here with my boyfriend. That doesn't make you a bad guy. Another note, by the way, at an event like this, which everybody was in their 20s and 30s who's there, uh, why is it that – uh, I, I just wish there were – We all understand in society why women wear an engagement ring and then a wedding ring, and why men wear, you know, a wedding band. Uh, I, I wish at these kinds of events they would do something so that the, the truly single ladies would signal somehow. And I know this is this would require some radical social reorganization because no one thinks in these terms. But the single ladies should. Be known as the single lady so that we don't have to deal with the, that awkwardness of, well, you know, my date's getting me a drink and then maybe he comes over and now you've got some kind of a problem. By the way, this is true at weddings. It's true at parties you'll go to this summer. Um, for those of you who are single uh, and who are guys, although the ladies, you know, you can go and talk to you can go. You can make the first move with the, with the guy. You know, you don't have to. As you know, you know, ladies, we're 21st century, you do as you do as you wish. Uh but that's, I, I wish that there were some, something, I don't know, like, that, like we were all wearing wristbands last night. And I was like, well, you know, the, the women who are single should have like two wristbands on and the guys too, so that everyone can know and, you know, you can kind of avoid maybe some of that awkwardness. But maybe I'm being wimpy. Maybe you should just be forced to go out there and, and talk and deal with the possibility of, of falling flat on your face and failure. Uh, some other things that I always note for the party season. This is Buck's June... Into the summer party advice, I guess is what I'm. As, after going out a couple times this week, some of my old, some of my old tricks, some of my old uh, wisdom has come back, I guess. Or maybe it's not wisdom, but I just feel like talking about parties because I just can't talk about Trump anymore. I've, I've had enough Trump for today, right? We've. Whew. I'm probably going to close with some thoughts on Trump, but anyway, uh, the. Food that you get that is passed around. Now, it's always rough for me because as a celiac, I can rarely eat it because they love to put flour and all that stuff. But the food that comes out first, I find, is usually better than whatever is at the sit-down meal, especially at weddings. The hors d'oeuvres, I view that as dinner time because you, you the, the food tends to be – look, I don't know if you have a wedding for 50 people and you know your grandma makes the best barbecue in the world and she's cooking it herself. Okay, that's different. But generally, you're at a wedding hall – You know, they're going to you're kind of in like rubber chicken and rice pilaf territory, you know, and and it's just never going to be that good. But the little things they pass around, whether it's um, what is it, uh, the little tiny hot dog things that people I mean, do we call them cocktail cocktail uh, wieners, I believe? Um, Yeah, that's what they are uh those are those are tastier usually so you got to go after those another thing if you're at a if you're at a a venue a, a party of some kind wedding summer i don't know summer fling summer gala wherever you are across the country and or you're throwing a party even in your well no that this wouldn't count for throwing up your own party but if there are people that are serving you uh i and if the place looks crowded I don't think there's any shame in ordering two drinks and just having them, you know, and I, you you know, two glasses of wine doesn't make you doesn't make you a bad guy. I think you can go for the two glasses of wine. So I I also put that uh, on the list. One of the things that makes me really sad about not being able to eat gluten anymore is mini crab cakes. Mini crab cakes to me are one of the things that used to get me most excited in life at any party, because when you never sit at home and like, oh, I'm going to have mini crab cakes for dinner. Right. I mean, the tiny ones that you could eat with like the toothpick. I've yet to come across any party anywhere in the country where they have gluten-free mini crab cakes. In Wedding Crashers, they even mentioned that they got the crab cakes, and I agree. That's a very exciting part of the whole party culture. Um, so I'm trying to think of the other bits of, uh, bits of wisdom that came back to me last night. I, I saw a friend uh, who I hadn't seen. We were friends when we were six or seven years old. I hadn't seen him in, I don't know, at least 10 or 15 years. He's bumped into each other. That's always fun. That's kind of amazing, isn't it? When you knew someone when you were real, and we were close friends. I mean, we were very good buddies when we were six or seven years old. And and we, uh, we saw, he, I knew who it was right away. He's married now. He's got a lovely wife and we were catching up. Uh, but That's always an interesting time. I don't know if it's a time warp or time machine or just all of a sudden when you haven't seen someone that long and you had been really close friends growing up, that was kind of fun. Um, what else was there? If you're going to dance, own it. Don't ever be the guy who's too cool to dance who's dancing. I learned this the hard way for so many years, man. I thought that, you know, do the little kind of like, you know, side to side. Like, what you you know, okay. If you're going to dance like the guy in Hitch, uh, who is Will Smith is Hitch. It's the guy he's teaching is Kevin James. I forget what his name is in the movie. Uh, If you're going to be that guy, um, you can do whatever you want. That's all fine. But you've got to at least... Own it, right? You you got to get after it. You can't be the guy who's like, "Well, I'm not really dancing. And I feel so awkward." And look, I have no rhythm. And go for it. Same thing with speeches. Everybody, I'm a guy who does three hours of extemporaneous radio a day. I do you know, TV all the time. Some of you see me do that too. Uh, if you're if you're demanding people's attention, give them the respect of feeling uh, confident in holding the floor and and sharing your words with them. If you're going to say, hey, everybody, look at me, I'm going to speak and I'm going to listen to you now, you should at least feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best here and I'm going to give you whatever if you're making a toast or a speech or whatever it may be. Don't think that people want this. Is I, I think I've said this even on the show before. Don't stand up and say, I hate public speaking and, and I'm not going to be good at this. But here goes. Just don't just don't do that because there's no need and if you just stand up and you do it and it comes from the heart, whatever it is you say, you know, you just stand up there, Papa Bear or Mama Bear, and you say your words about, you know, your your daughter or son or whoever's getting married or whatever the party is you're at. If you're toasting the host and the hostess, just just own it. Just own it. Um, and, and practice, by the way, is important. I will say that. I mean, this is something about radio I always find fascinating. People that work in media just think, oh, well, guys, don't tell them I'm telling you this. TV is so much easier than radio. It's, so, it's not even close. Okay, so people that sometimes TV people think they can carry a three-hour radio show and unless it's just full of a ton of guests and production and other things that are built in or unless they're just talking about sports because I feel like anybody can talk about sports for three hours. I know people would say that about politics too, but that's actually not true. But if you love sports enough, I think I, I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people that could carry a three-hour sports show that don't work in radio. I don't know anybody who could carry a three-hour show about politics and current events that it doesn't work in them. That's just I'm just saying. Um, but yeah, radio is a lot. Of, radio is harder than TV. I mean, it's more energy. It's more preparation. It's TV. First of all, no one has a three-hour solo TV show right now. be crazy. just stare into my face for three hours. Uh, but practice is really helpful. Uh, practice is is great on those things, and um, I I do think I think that rhetoric or speech class. Uh, as somebody who had a speech impediment growing up, as I think I've told you before, I think that rhetoric should be required college curriculum, high school curriculum. It should be verbal communication should not be considered something that only some people learn in an official or uh, professional capacity. Everybody should. Uh, in, in all these schools, kids should stand up. They should be taped. They should speak publicly, and then they should watch it back. Uh, it's you. You learn a lot from it, and then you should want to practice and get better. It's so communication is so important. We see all these jobs, all this automation that's happening. You know what? Human to human communication. Is, I don't care what anybody says about AI and all this. is never going to be totally replaced. Just like my my old books with the uh, you know weathered and and beat up pages and everything else. There's no technology that can replace that for me. There there are other things, but there's nothing that will ever get rid of that entirely. And human-to-human communication is is in that category as well. They're never going to be able to get rid of that entirely. So uh, load up on appetizers. If you're going to speak, own it. If you're going to dance, own it. Suits are never that comfortable. There's no shame in... Uh, bringing a pair of socks to change into, by the way. Something about when you, especially if you've had a long event, like a wedding or whatever, and if you've got the wife or the missus with you, she's got a bag. I mean, maybe the guy's got a bag. If you carry a man bag, that's cool. I'm not judging. But if someone has a bag, he's a, a pair of clean socks to change into, you know, after the, uh, or once the the dance party gets going, I'm telling you, it can make a lot of difference. I'm a big fan. Also, maybe bring a bring a granola bar with you. Just a little emergency food. Never a bad idea, everybody. Never a bad idea for these parties. Uh, And stay away from the pre-mixed drinks because they're too sweet. Um, I think those are most of the... Wear the most comfortable shoes you can get away with wearing that won't be viewed with disdain by your more fashionable friends. I know that's a long bit of advice, but it's a good one. Um, So anyway, I hope you guys have fun parties or uh, events, whether it's a backyard barbecue or just you know, sitting out there on your own uh, porch with your family, cooking some burgers, whatever you've got coming up this weekend and all summer, I I hope it's really fun and exciting because for all the talk we do about politics and everything else here, that is, in fact, what really matters. Your day-to-day, enjoying yourself, enjoying time with your loved ones, and uh, I hope you have a great weekend plan. Uh, I'm not going to close with that, but we're going to have a quick close when I come back, so uh, stay with me, team. Oh, team, one more fun tip: uh, If you are drinking wine and you think the wine's not particularly good, uh, it's fine to throw an ice cube or two in there. It just makes it a little, uh, it just takes a little of the bite off if the wine is not particularly good. little Little trick I've learned from hanging out at all different kinds of parties. I go to I go where there's box wine. I go where there's any kind of wine. Team, uh, thank you so much for hanging out with me on this Freestyle Friday. Uh, do share the podcast if uh, you do me that favor. I would really appreciate it. Buck Sexton with America Now on iTunes. Uh, Tell a friend about it over the weekend. See if you can get someone to join Team Buck. It would be a a, a great uh, honor for me. So uh, like I said before, whether you're barbecuing or just chilling or working, whatever you've got going on this weekend, I hope you have a fun, relaxing, and uh, blessed weekend. Uh, I thank you, as always, for uh, being a part of what I do here on the show each and every day. Already thinking about next week and uh, have some... Very interesting plans in mind for that, but uh, you'll have to join me next week to hear it. Until then, my friends, have a great weekend. Shields high.